Well, hello there. Welcome on into Overtime with Jonathan Peterlin. No, I'm not Jonathan Peterlin. I'm Danny Cunningham, and I'm a little new here. Today's my first day at 92.3 The Fan. I am thrilled to be here, super excited to be with you tonight, right here, taking you up until 9 o'clock. So, you haven't heard my voice before here on this station. You may have seen me on Twitter. I've covered the Cavs before. I currently write at Cleveland Magazine. I do a bunch of stuff. But I'm so happy now to finally be part of the 92.3 The Famine family and the Odyssey family. There have been opportunities throughout the year that haven't always lined up properly. But I'm so, 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 so grateful and so excited to get started here with a bunch of really great people. A bunch of people that I've looked up to for a long time, been friends with for a long time. Just super glad to be here. Really happy to be filling in for Jonathan tonight, taking you up until... Nine o'clock tonight. We've got a lot of Browns to get to. Obviously, last night I think was the best night in the history of Cleveland Browns Stadium, which considering that thing opened up in 1999, that's a bit of a sad statement. But last night was just an incredible night for everybody that was in attendance, that was on the field. There's so much to get to with that game. The future for this Browns team as far as what's it look like moving forward? What does it look like next weekend? What do we even expect across the NFL this weekend that could impact the Browns. We're going to have Browns beat writer Daryl Ryder join the show at 740. But I wanted to start with where are we going to give credit, right? Because when a team, and I, I'm comfortable in saying this Browns team has absolutely overachieved. Because if you would go back to August or September and everyone's playing the schedule game, everyone's trying to figure out, okay, you know, I think the Browns are going to go 10 and 7, 9 and 8, 11 and 5. I it was hard to find somebody even amongst the most optimistic Browns fans, the most optimistic analysts that thought this Browns team is going to be better than 12 and 5. I think that was just as a consensus probably the best case scenario for this team. That's if everything went right. Well, think it's fair to say not everything has gone right. We're on quarterback number four. Now, Joe Flacco has been a revelation that I didn't think could, could do what he's doing, but he's been fantastic. Nick Chubb played a game and, what, a quarter of that Monday night game in Pittsburgh before blowing out his knee and missing the rest of the season. They've missed so many guys. I, they're on offensive tackle, number four and five. Starting safeties, number four and five a couple of weeks ago. They have been so beat up and so injured throughout this year. It's fair to say, okay, if everything went right, they could have gone 12 and five. Nothing has gone right. They still might go 12 and five. Like that is to me, 100% an overachievement. Now, who do you want to give credit to? I think that is the more interesting discussion because I think we can all probably agree that this is an overachievement considering everything I just went through. I think that there are a couple of different areas where you could look. How much of the credit do you want to give to Joe Flacco where he came in, what was it, five or six weeks ago now? He was added to the roster. He started five games. He's gone four and one. He's been somehow, some way, one of the best quarterbacks in football since he's been on the Browns, which is, again, if you would have said that out loud in the month of August, you you would have looked at, you would have been looked at like you had four eyes, like you had two eyes above your eyes, right above your eyebrows. Like that's how crazy People would have thought you were for just even thinking that. And now he's he's been awesome. How much credit does he get? How much credit does Jim Schwartz get for coming in, maybe changing the culture of this defense, certainly putting 
the guys on the field in a much better position to succeed than defensive coordinators of the past have. How much credit is that worth? But I think Kevin Stefanski is the one that deserves a lot of the credit because when everyone wants someone to blame, right, it's the buck stops with the guy that's the head coach. He's the one that when the quarterback's not playing well, well, it can't always be the quarterback's fault. It's got to be the coach's fault, right? Kevin Stefanski gets blamed for that kind of stuff. I think he deserves all the credit in the world for what this Browns team has done. I mean, take a look across the NFL right now, and this will change or this could change, I should say, once games are played later on this weekend. But as of right now, as of 7-8 on Friday night, there are nine teams in football that have nine or more wins on the season. Eight of those nine teams have had one quarterback start all of their games. The Browns are the other one. They've had four quarterbacks, not only start, but four quarterbacks win games, which is relatively unprecedented for an NFL team, certainly for an NFL team that has 11 wins. Like that just, it does not happen. And I I can't help but think, and as I listen to what guys in the Browns locker room were saying last night, was at the game last night, went into the locker room, hearing what guys like Joel Batonio, who has been around a long time, someone like David Njoku, who he has been around in this town for a long time, longer than we probably realize. So often when they're talking, what they're saying, it always starts with, well, Coach Stefanski has done this, or Coach Stefanski's done that. Coach has put us in this position over and over again. And I'm someone that I can absolutely be characterized as a Kevin Stefanski defender. I will wear that as a badge of honor. I don't agree with everything he's done, but I think he's done a very good job since he's been put into place in Cleveland in 2020. I tend to think he deserves a lot of the credit, and maybe I'm wrong for that, but right now, I don't think I am. I can't look at this Browns team and say, man, you know, I think someone other than Kevin Stefanski deserves most of the credit. Now, that's not to say other guys don't deserve credit. I'd be crazy to sit here and say, oh, Joe Flacco doesn't deserve credit. It's all Kevin Stefanski. No, Joe Flacco is the one that's going out there that's making all the throws, it's making all the reads, that is do, doing things that, quite frankly, are unprecedented in NFL history. For him, I, I saw a stat, I think it was ESPN that put this out, that he's the first quarterback in NFL history to throw for 250 or more yards and multiple touchdown passes in his first five games with a new franchise. So we're talking about unprecedented stuff, stuff that has literally never been done in the more than 100 years of the NFL. It's crazy. He deserves a lot of credit for that, but I think Kevin Stefanski does too. I think Kevin Stefanski has put him in a great position to be successful. You want to go to Jim Schwartz and have that conversation? I absolutely do. He has been awesome as a defensive coordinator. Certainly things that I wish were a little bit different, and it's not all on him. They've been beat up. They've had to deal with injuries just like the offense has. But this defense, Jim Schwartz has put his guys in position to be successful. You cannot deny that. But so many people out there, I do believe, want to give him a lot more of the credit. At the end of the day, Kevin Stefanski is the one that said, you know, we need a better defense coordinator, which everyone could see. It didn't take a genius or, you know, a a football savant to notice that Joe Woods wasn't doing the job necessary last year as defensive coordinator. But I'm going to go get Jim Schwartz. And there were other guys on the market. If you think back, Brian Flores was the hot name. There were a few other 
really strong defensive coordinator candidates that the Browns could have wanted. And he decided to go with Jim Schwartz. And that decision could not have been more correct. I mean, if you look at the way this team has operated on that side of the football, it's been outstanding. Outstanding. Jim Schwartz deserves credit for that, but so does Kevin Stefanski. And that's why, guys, it's hard for me to sit here and say Kevin Stefanski deserves anything other than the bulk of the credit here. He has done absolutely everything that he can to put this team in position to be not just a playoff team, because obviously we know that's happening. They've clinched a playoff berth. They're going to be playing in the postseason. But they're a team that right now you can dream about. And I don't know, and I'm 30 years old, so I've not exactly experienced Brown's greatness throughout my lifetime, right? Like, it's it's been pretty bad for most of those 30 years, certainly since the team returned in 1999. It's been pretty bad. In 2002, it was a great story that that team got into the playoffs, and, you know, who knows what happens if Dennis Northcutt doesn't drop that pass on third down in Pittsburgh, but he didn't. That story was written. In 2020, it was so great just to make the playoffs, and beating Pittsburgh was the most fun I think any of us have ever had as Browns fans. But you kind of knew, okay, well, this this ride's not going to go all the way. I don't think you can say that right now about this Browns team. I really, truly don't. I think that this Browns team, more than any Browns team that I've ever watched, I, I, I truly think today was the first day in my life where I could wake up and say, if the Browns win the Super Bowl, I would not be surprised. I'm not saying it's likely. I'm not saying it's going to happen. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Browns won the Super Bowl. And I think that is an incredible place to be. Considering everything that's gone wrong, how can you not give credit to Kevin Stefanski for putting this team in this position? I want to know who you would give credit to. Call in at 216-474-0092. You can get at me on Twitter. I'm at Real D Cunningham on Twitter. Of course, all Twitter reactions are brought to you by Scheiben Jewelers. But the credit for me has to go to Kevin Stefanski. It, it, it does because of everything. And I think that he came into the season too. It's worth noting. He came into this season under a lot of pressure to be successful, right? He was someone that was talked about nationally as being on the hot seat that if things went awry and, you know, think back, the Browns had that early bye week after, after what was it? That first Ravens game, they had an early bye week. They got to, you know, if things didn't go well by then, okay, that could be the spot they make a change. That was a, a real narrative going into the season. And now you're looking at someone that should be getting a three- to five-year contract extension based upon the work that he's done this year. I think a lot of people deserve credit, but I think he deserves the most credit of anybody. I just It's hard for me to see it any other way. I, I really, really have been so impressed with him, and I think it creates a very interesting dynamic moving forward for this Browns organization because they have been forever, for my entire lifetime, the place where football careers kind of go to die, right? Whether it's the actual football players, whether it's guys that are executives, guys that are coaches, like you go to Cleveland and you're not going to make it out of Cleveland with much of a career left. I think that that has changed. I think that this culture has changed so drastically. And I'm not, 
I'm not the biggest culture guy in the world, right? Like, I think that is the ultimate sports cliche buzzword. I'm a big NBA guy. I've covered the Cavs on, you know, a, a beat basis before. And the whole, you know, Miami Heat, the Heat culture thing that goes around there, it drives me nuts. It drives me nuts. But I can almost feel a little bit of that with the Browns because if you take a listen to how some of those guys talk, they're starting to take upon, they're starting to sound in some senses like Kevin Stefanski does, where it's, you know, and I think that the post-game video after the Houston win on Christmas Eve was the best example of this. Mari Cooper goes for 265 yards through the air. He is awesome. Sets a Browns record for most receiving yards in a single game. Well, it was just about going 1-0 this week. We just wanted to go 1-0 this week. Guys in the NFL don't always talk like that. The Browns have picked up on that because they now have a culture that Kevin Stefanski has set. When you take a look at everything and add that in, I think that he's the coach of the year. I have not been more impressed. And what happened in 2020 was impressive because of circumstances that everyone had to deal with that were just, you could not have imagined before with the pandemic. But the circumstances that have been presented to the Browns and Kevin Stefanski this year, I don't know that I've ever been more impressed with a coaching job than what I have been this year. Want to get into your calls, want to get into some tweets coming up next right here on 92.3 The Fan. But Kevin Stefanski, I think, deserves a lot of the credits. Who do you think does? We're going to get to that. Plus, are the Browns, dare I say, a team of destiny? That's straight ahead right here on 92.3 The Fan. Randy in Vegas, you're first up on The Fan. What's going on, Randy? Hey, how you doing? I'm good. Um, how are you? Danny, enjoying your show. Let me buckle my seatbelt. Yes, please. Safety um, first, Randy. I, I would hate if something happened to you. I agree. Anyway, um, I want to respectfully disagree with your um, your stance that a lot of media personnel are, are have bought into that Stefanski, it was his decision to get rid of Woods and the special teams coach and his decision to bring in Schwartz and Bubba Ventrone, because I'm of the belief since none of us were in that office with him and Barry, that Barry says we're replacing these two coaches with these two coaches. Okay. I don't think Stefanski has a say so in it myself. See, I think I can listen. I, I don't necessarily disagree with everything you're saying. Like, I don't think it was Randy, Kevin Stefanski's decision alone to do either of those things, to fire Jim Schwartz or Mike Prefer, or I, excuse me, Joe Woods or Mike Prefer, the, the two previous coordinators, or to hire Jim Schwartz or Bubba Ventrone. I think that those are collaborative decisions. I think Andrew Barrett definitely deserves some of that credit there, but just as you might think it's unfair for me to give Kevin Stefanski that credit, I think it's unfair to not give him any credit in that because you're right. We're not in those rooms. We're not privy to just exactly how those conversations went. But if you're going to say, you know, we don't know that he wanted that, you also kind of have to say we don't know that he didn't either. Yeah, I just think he was kind of under quite a bit of hot water last year um, going into this year. And I just 
every time you start a sentence with the words, I think, you kind of lose credibility right away. But I think <laughs> that he was given the ultimatum, basically, uh, our way or the highway. We want to give you another chance over replacing these codes. Oh, but we'll never know. That's what makes it the debate and argument fun. You are right. And hey, Randy, that absolutely could be the case. I don't believe it to be the case, but it could be. And Randy, I appreciate the call. But I do think that it is, I think that's a valid point as I lose credibility with Randy as I say the words I think. I do believe there, is that better? For that to be a valid point. But I also think it would be foolish to think that an NFL head coach would have no say in who's getting hired in prominent positions on his staff. Does he have the final say? I would like to think so. I don't know that for certain. But I would like to think that's how that works in most healthy organizations, which for the first time in my life, I strongly consider the Browns to be a healthy organization. I would like to believe that the head coach has a lot of say in who the coordinators are. I would like to believe that the general manager, Andrew Andrew Barry, has say as well, that he is someone that's going to say, okay, this direction could be something that's good for us. Maybe going with someone that's a little bit more of an aggressive play caller defensively in Jim Schwartz would put guys like Denzel Ward and Greg Newsom and MJ Emerson on the back end into better positions and coverage, which in turn, along with some upgrades at other positions on the defensive line, helps Miles Garrett play what I think is the best football of his career because he's been fantastic too. I want to get into that later on in the show, but I absolutely, I I don't know how you can watch NFL games and I'm not going to sit here and act like I watch every second of every game. Like my life has to be just a little bit more than football, 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 24 seven. I watch a lot of it, but if I told you that I'm, you know, watching the Carolina Panthers every weekend, I'd be lying to you. I'm not. I don't know how anyone could think that there is someone that is a more dominant defensive player than Miles Garrett right now. I think Jim Schwartz has a lot to do with that. And in turn, I think Kevin Stefanski deserves some credit for that. 216-474-0092. If you want to jump in, you can tweet at me. I'm on Twitter at Real D Cunningham. Of course, Twitter reactions, as always, brought to you by our friends at Scheiben Jewelers. But one of the things I mentioned was that, you know, last night... Inside Cleveland Browns Stadium, which hasn't seen many nights like that one, right? Like I I put out yesterday morning that Thursday night had the opportunity to be the greatest night in the history of that stadium. Doors open in 1999. It's a sad statement. I think it's a true one, but it's, it's a sad one. And there were other, there were people that would respond to me and say, well, you know, I was previously at this Thursday night game against the Jets where they opened coolers that had Bud Light inside. I'm like, brother, this is clinching a playoff berth. That was winning a game for the first time in almost two years. These are very, very, both important, don't get me wrong, but these are very, very different animals. I thought last night was the most important night that that stadium has had. And I do believe that because of that, it added a little bit more magic to the night, right? Like you think of some of these teams and just these, these magic moments that are so cool and you kind of don't understand the grasp of it until you're there. 
Like I woke up yesterday firmly believing the Browns were going to win that game. Like I just, I didn't see an avenue where they were going to lose to <laughs> lose to the Jets on Thursday night with an opportunity to go to the playoffs. That's what the Browns of yesteryear would have done. I didn't believe there was a scenario where this version of the Browns were going to do that. But then you get to the stadium and there's a certain energy there and they get off to a great start. And then Ronnie Hickman has that pick six. That's awesome. And even before that, when Nick Chubb came out of the tunnel to smash the guitar, like just incredible stuff. When you walk out of there after that game, it's kind of difficult for me at this point not to at least wonder whether or not this is a team of destiny. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that they're going to win the Super Bowl? I don't know. Maybe. I'd like to hope so. I mean, it's not likely. I understand that. Setting myself up for heartbreak. Done that before. But I can't help but wonder. It's possible. Like, I woke up today feeling like that's possible, and I've never done that before in my entire life. And with that, you wonder, everything has gone wrong for this team at some point this year. Deshaun Watson looks awesome in that game against Baltimore. The best by far he has looked at while wearing a Browns uniform. By far, not even close. And then we find out two days later, oh, season-ending shoulder surgery to his throwing arm. That is like, what is happening? How is this us again? Nick Chubb, the maybe not the face of the franchise because I believe that's Miles Garrett, but one of the most beloved players in this city that I've ever seen. It's a gruesome knee injury week two. So many things have gone wrong. So many things have gone wrong. I mean, we watched this team start Dorian Thompson Robinson on what two hours, two and a half hour notice against Baltimore. And we also are at the point now where it's like, yeah, this team could win the Super Bowl. Like, I don't understand how you can get from one to the other without maybe being the team of destiny. One doesn't happen every year. I do think that there's a very certain someone on this team that's been part of a team of destiny before, and that'd be Joe Flacco. Like, that is the thing. Aside from everything I've talked about with Kevin Stefanski and so many of the great things there are to say about this roster— Joe Flacco gives me so much belief, man. Like, watching him back there at 38 years old do what he's doing makes me think anything's possible with this team. And that's such a cool feeling. Because for years, for years, even when when things would be going bad and there'd be a bright spot, you'd be like, well, what's going to happen next? What's coming down the pike that's just going to throw this off and ruin everyone's day. What's that going to be like? I don't feel like that's coming. And if it is, I feel like it's something this Browns team can get past because all they've done for four months is show me they're capable of getting past anything. It's been one of the most impressive things that I've ever seen, that I've ever seen as a Browns fan. It's remarkable. It makes me wonder, one, if you're another franchise, who wants to see the Browns right now? Nobody. I I know on afternoon drive, Nick, who I think does a a great job, Nick Wilson, played the, you know, choose your own adventure game. Do the Baltimore Ravens want to host the Browns in a playoff game? 
I'm not saying that Baltimore wouldn't go into that game confident in their ability to win. I think that they are the best team in the NFL right now. They should be confident against anyone. As we saw Monday night in San Francisco, what they did with that, just, just spanking out there. But you can't tell me they're like, yeah, we really want to face the Browns. You can't tell me whoever wins the AFC South wants the Browns to be the team coming to their stadium on wildcard weekend. I don't think there's a team in football that wants to face the Cleveland Browns in the playoffs. Never said that before. It, just, it makes me feel like that this is a team of destiny that has been on a magical ride, and I don't see that magical ride ending anytime soon, and it's something that I think is so, so, so exciting. Another thing that I think is so, so, so exciting is up next, I get to talk to Daryl Ryder on the air for the first time in my life. I've been friends with Daryl for a long time. I've never been on the air with Daryl before. I can't wait. That's next right here on 92.3 The Fan. I'm Danny Cunningham filling in right here on Overtime with Jonathan Beerlin. So much Browns to get to. Team clinched a playoff berth last night for just the third time since returning to action back in 1999. Questions rising whether or not they're a team of destiny that I think are absolutely worth entertaining. And here now to entertain us on the North Olmstead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram Hotline. The one, the only, Daryl Ryder, 92.3 The Fan Browns beat reporter. Daryl, I can't tell you how happy I am to actually have a conversation with you on air for the first time in my life. Welcome aboard. Glad to be here, man. Glad to be here. Thank you for taking time out of your busy Friday night to join me on my first show. Wouldn't, would, no one I would rather have on. <laughs> well, I guess the Continental can wait. Exactly. Exactly. So let me but, ask you. Uh, here's, here's the rule about the Team of Destiny, though. It's kind of like Fight Club. You don't talk about it. Yep. We'll move on. So it's, so it's the fir- it's the first rule of Fight Club, because um, I don't disagree with I don't disagree with the premise here, but um, I think we start messing with the uh, the football gods out there. Not not to say that like the football gods have really shined on the Browns yeah. a whole lot. This <laughs> what season. if the football gods done well for the Browns? <laughs> right, but. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, Joe Flacco, yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, uh, he, I mean, Joe Flacco, Flacco in exchange for no Nick Chubb, Deshaun Watson getting hurt twice, <laughs> everything it, else. It, yeah. I mean, throw in Jack Conklin, a couple yeah. of safeties. A part, I mean, it's a hell of a trade trade of the century, if you ask me. <laughs> All right. So I won't ask you about that. And I'm not here to say that the Browns would be favored in every game that they play the rest of the way in the playoffs. They won't be. That's foolish. Is there a team the Browns can't beat on any given Sunday in a playoff race? No. Um, you look at how things have played out for them this year, right? They've beaten the 49ers. They've beaten the Ravens. Um, they have uh, beaten the Jaguars. Um, just kind of going down to beat the Colts, beat the Texans. Like, I, I mean, this isn't a situation where – they have gotten lucky in the sense of, you know, they've beaten up on teams like the Patriots or the Chargers or, okay, the Jets. Yes, they did beat up on the Jets. I have to take that part of it back. But you know what I'm saying? Like, the bulk of the wins uh, for the Browns this year have been against quality opponents and very good football teams. So this isn't a situation where, in spite of the injuries, like the, the scheduling gods bequeathed them every worst team in, in every, every division this year. That, that's not been the case. They have beaten very good teams 
uh, already this year to get to where they're at. And if Joe Flacco is going to put up 300-plus in games uh, and combine that with this defense, you're darn right I feel good about the Browns' chances against anybody on any given Sunday. I'm glad you brought up the teams they've played in the AFC South. And, and I know that on paper, it at the beginning of the year, it looked like an easy thing, an easy thing schedule-wise. And then now they've got three teams that are alive for to win the division or a wild card spot as we enter the second to last week. I do believe that Baltimore is going to win this weekend or next weekend, wrap up the AFC North Browns will be a wild card team. So if they're the five seed, who do you think they are rooting for to win the AFC South and be their round one opponent? Ooh. Um, uh, probably Indianapolis. Um, Cause I think that only because assuming Trevor Lawrence is healthy and that's obviously he's not healthy this weekend for Jacksonville, um, which is sort of a big deal there in that AFC South race. But um, of the quarterbacks in that division, I, I don't think they would like to face CJ Stroud or Trevor Lawrence. I would agree with that. The Stroud thing is, I, I think that, listen, he's been awesome for Houston, and I'm not going to say that the Browns missing him was the luckiest of breaks because the way that the offense played, I think that they win that game if C.J. Stroud's healthy or not. But I do think that you're right. It goes down to the quarterbacks, and Gardner Minshew was somehow awesome against the Browns when it was a combination of Deshaun Watson and P.J. Walker. But, man, I, I also wonder if the travel plays into it where it's it's so close. I would have to think that a lot of Browns fans would be at that game too. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, tra travel obviously, you know, uh, I'm, you know, plays a little part in my thinking, but it, it comes down to uh, the quarterback. And uh, Trevor Lawrence can beat him. C.J. Stroud can beat him. I don't think Gardner Minshew could beat him. I, that just – I no disrespect to him, but I just – I don't see him uh, doing to the Browns' defense what he did earlier in this season for a second time. I, I think the Browns would totally be ready for that. Um, I And again, I feel like, you know, Trevor Lawrence, they already beat him once. I think they can beat him twice. And I agree with you. I think they can beat C.J. Stroud. But again, you give me the option of the three teams. I'm I'm, I'm going to take Indianapolis. It's the shortest trip. And uh, like I said, I, I think it's uh, uh, the, the smoothest path to the divisional round for the Browns if the Colts can, can win this division. But uh, we'll see what happens in the next two weeks. I do agree with you. I think Baltimore ultimately wins the division. And the Browns will be the number five seed. They will play the winner of the AFC South. Uh, but um, uh, that picture is uh, murky at best when you look at that particular division. It's a three-team race. They're all neck and neck. Oh, yes. It, it certainly is murky. And, well, and, and Trevor Lawrence not playing this weekend complicates things. Where they're going into Carolina, you would expect the Trevor Lawrence-led Jacksonville team for as bad as they've been for the last month. Like That's going to be the win that gets them right. That's going to win them the division. Now you just have right. no idea what it's going to look like. Yeah, and look, you know, th things are going about as well in Carolina as they are in New York with the Jets, uh, <laughs> if not worse. Yeah. So, uh, um, yeah, I uh, yeah, that does uh, it, it. You know, little uh, little uh, fly in the ointment here. Uh, the Colts got the Raiders, and uh, the Texans have Tennessee, the Titans. So I would probably say the Texans have the easier, the easiest game of the weekend here. 
Um, it should be Jacksonville, but like I said, Trevor Lawrence not playing, that kind of complicates things for them uh, against Carolina because otherwise I w- would have taken Jacksonville and Carolina uh, as far as the, the easiest matchup there. But uh, I don't know. By the end of the weekend, maybe uh, the Texans find themselves in the driver's seat for that uh, South division. Daryl, who do you think deserves the most credit for how the Browns have overcome all of the bad things that have happened to them this season and found themselves in the position that they're in? Kevin Stefanski. I mean, obviously the players deserve credit, but if I have to pick one specific individual person, I have to I have to say Stefanski. He's the one that has uh, set the tone from uh, the very first day of training camp down at the Greenbrier in West Virginia. Half the locker room talks like Kevin, which is really scary. Um, but uh, setting all sarcasm aside, that's actually a good thing that they they have uh, they clearly bought in. Um, I, I mentioned this uh, earlier today. The difference between the New York Jets and the Cleveland Browns, uh, besides head coaches, and I think Kevin Stefanski's uh, 10 times the coach that Robert Sala is. I think Sala's overrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you watched that game last night, you saw how disciplined they were. And if you think Aaron Rodgers was com- is going to come in and fix that mess next year, I-, I think you're fooling yourself. But the difference is the Jets built their team around one guy. The Browns built their team around a team of about 70 guys. And to me, that's the difference between those two teams. Because defense is very comparable, okay? Quarterback situation would happen, comparable. Yeah. Granted, Browns, you know, got Joe Flacco. They're making it work with Joe Flacco. The Jets were too stupid to make it work with Joe Flacco, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they could have had him. They They should have had him week two. And I get why they didn't call him, because they they couldn't make it work the first time. So they probably weren't going to make it work again. I get why they didn't call him, okay? Again, but... Uh, Jets aren't a good organization in my view. Browns, on the other hand, uh, they're, they're no longer the laughingstocks. That's a very solid organization and one of the best cultures, if not the best culture, I've seen built of the uh, lengthy list of regimes that have rolled through that building over the years. Um, the culture that Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski and Kevin Stefanski's uh, coaching staff have established out there is pretty strong. And it's a you know a big reason why they did buy in to what Kevin Stefanski has been preaching, and it's a big reason why, despite losing so many key players, all in the great conspiracy, so that they could sign Joe Flacco, who was sitting on a couch, uh, you know, playing catch with his dad and his brother and things like that. Um, but th- that that's why they're in the position that they are in right now. The great Daryl Ryder joins us right now in the North Homestead Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram hotline. Daryl, two more for you. I know that you have consumed a lot of football in your life, and I know this hasn't happened in Cleveland before, but what's the closest comp to the Joe Flacco resurgence with the Browns that you can think of? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I didn't come here to lob you softball. No, I know. I know. Um, God, I'd have to really think about that because um, – Man, this is just so, to me, this is so unique. You know, uh, the big quarterback uh, shifts, right, and changes. Uh, you know, Joe Montana going from the 49ers to the, to the Chiefs, uh, you know, uh, he's, he was still playing at a high level. Tom Brady from the Patriots to the Buccaneers. He ended up winning the Super Bowl in New England, right? Um, I mean, you're, you're talking about a, a, a Super Bowl MVP caliber player whose career fell on hard times there, 
ended up on the street only to get picked up. I, I don't I don't know that there is a situation comparable to this. I'm sure there is somewhere, but just off the top of my head, I, I don't know that there is one. I, I think that this is that unique because, I mean, Joe Flacco was in pseudo-retirement, right? <laughs> on his couch. Like, phone, phone wasn't ringing. Browns were the only team to call. That was until he started, you know, throwing a couple touchdown passes for the, the Browns. Then his agent started <laughs> getting phone calls. And he's like, yeah, we're good. We're going to stay in Cleveland. Um, but, yeah, um, it, it, a lot of the, the the shifts in elite quarterbacks' careers, typically once they fall off, they're done, right? I mean, Peyton Manning from the Colts to the Broncos, won Super Bowls in Denver. Like, yeah, I, I, I just – I think that this is because he was – it was one of my concerns when the Browns picked him up. I I had I, I didn't know what they were getting. I I sure didn't expect him to be playing the way he's playing. And I got news for anyone that was been like, oh yeah, we knew this all. No, you didn't. Nope. No one. None did. of you had any idea. Not, Not even possible. the Browns had any idea that he was going to go on this type of a uh, an historic run that you've seen him go on here in these last five games. All right, let me get you out of here on this. Which member of the Browns most likely to win a postseason award? Kevin Stefanski, Coach of the Year. Miles Garrett, Defensive Player of the Year. Joe Flacco, Comeback Player of the Year. Uh, I'm going to say Stefanski, Coach of the Year, because it's there is, and there have been some, you know, Dan Campbell certainly in, in Detroit with what they've done up there in the Lions is very special, but nobody has gone through what Stefanski's gone through and achieved the level of success that Stefanski has achieved. Garrett is going to be penalized. I don't agree with this, but it's just the reality. Voters like looking at numbers. He's going to be penalized by numbers. Even though when you watch the film, he is without question one of, if not the most dominant defensive player out there. I think DeMar Hamlin is going to win comeback player of the year uh, on, on sentiment there. But I will say this, if there's a player to rip that award from him, it's going to be Joe Flacco, but I. But the most likely of those the, those choices you gave me, Stefanski, in my view, is a lock for coach there. I know in my PFWA ballot, uh, hopefully I don't get myself in trouble for saying this. I will be voting uh, for all three of those players for those particular awards. I am fascinated to see how it all unfolds, Daryl. Very much appreciate the time. Thank you. You betcha, Danny.